Okay, well, let's go together to Luke 19, if you will, please. Luke 19. We're going to pick up on a series that we started at the beginning of the year on spiritual friendships. We first week looked at the story in the Old Testament of David and Jonathan and a friendship that was based on selfless love and such an incredible picture of that spiritual friendship. Then the next week we went to Revelation chapter 7 and we saw the diversity and fellowship of the believers in this spiritual friendship. And then tonight we're going to look for just a few moments here in Luke 19 and we're going to see a story that Jesus lived out, a credible, incredible example of Jesus being a friend. And this friend that Jesus is and Jesus was in this moment is to a man by the name of Zacchaeus. And this is a very familiar story to probably many, if not all of us in here tonight. It's a story that we maybe grew up hearing or maybe something that we have heard uh, before and have heard much about it. But this classic story of Zacchaeus is one that has wonderful truth to who Jesus is and who he was in exhibiting a true spiritual friendship. And so look at the text with me. We'll begin in verse number one. Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans or the tax collectors, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus and who he was and could not for the press because he was little of stature. And he ran before and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, Make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste, and he came down, and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, the followers that were, were waiting for Jesus and watching what Jesus would do, when they saw it, their response, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, this day is salvation. This day salvation has come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. So tonight, let's just take a few moments looking at this spiritual friendship really being reminded of this wonderful truth and story, but then also relating with it. Are we like Jesus, being willing to be that kind of friend to others? God, we would ask for your guidance now through this text, and I pray that you would teach us something. I know this is a familiar story, a familiar text. Uh, we've come to it often before, whether it's through our childhood or our teen years or learning some biblical truth of salvation but tonight we want to wrap our minds around the example that your son Jesus Christ gives us as being a friend. And so may we find ourselves to be that friend too. In Jesus' name, amen. So Zacchaeus that day looks into the most incredible compassionate eyes. And as he's looking into the eyes of Jesus, he might have been thinking, does this guy even know who I really am? Does he not know who he's sitting with around this dinner table? Does he not know what I've done in order to make my millions? He must know this, and if he did, why hasn't he rejected me? He is still my friend. 
It's an incredible picture of grace. I mean, certainly when you think about this story, it's coming right off of the heels of chapter 18 where the account is given of the rich young ruler who is asking for eternal life. And what is that that is needed to be done? And by the end, he says he, wants, he does not want any part of what it takes to receive that eternal life. And Jesus gives the claim in verse 27 of 18, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. So now when we come to yet another rich man in the man Zacchaeus, we're going to have this completely different taste or a completely different picture because now we don't see someone so eager and willing for self-salvation like the rich young ruler, but somebody now who is eager to follow after a Lord and Savior. And so his grace is going to be poured out, and it's an incredible picture of Jesus as a friend. In verse 1 and 2, we see here this, that Jesus is a friend to the sinner. And Matthew eleven nineteen 19 refers to Jesus as a, a friend to the sinners. We would see that illustrated all throughout his earthly ministry. The Pharisees would murmur and complain about that. People would judge him over the fact of who he would rub shoulders with. And even here in this instance, Jesus is rubbing shoulders with people who are sinners. And not just run-of-the-mill sinners. These are chief sinners. These are peak sinners. These are the top-of-the-line kind of sinners. This is a man who has made his millions by lying and, and conniving people for their money. This is a piece this is a man who has, has really done evil and wicked things, and that's why the guilt in his own heart has brought him to a place of wonder about what this man Jesus could do for him. And all throughout his earthly ministry, we're going to find Jesus doing exactly what he did on this night with Zacchaeus. He would do it over and over again. And Gary Bird says this, the complaint against him, Jesus, was that he spent time with people without preconditions. You see, when we spend time with sinners, we can't go in it with preconditions, hoping that we're just going to get the moment where we can set them straight. Our time with sinners can't always be that by the end of my five minutes with you, you're going to be converted and headed to heaven, and you're going to be yet another one of my incredible stories to tell later. You see, sometimes you have to sit over lunch with somebody for an hour and a half to two hours to hear their story, to hear their beliefs, to find where it is that they are, to see the blinds that the enemy has put on them. It's so important for you to spend time learning the ins and outs of that individual and just trying to become their friend. Not a friend in a way that they negatively impact you. And, and as Jesus went into this with no preconditions, it wasn't that Jesus went in to be with these friends and hope that they would return the same. Jesus would go in with great intent that his grace would change them so drastically. So it's not as if now we look to surround ourselves with people who are sinners and non-believers so that they can negatively impact us. It is a part of that process that we're asking God to allow us to be the instrument to break down barriers and build relationships and plant gospel seeds. It's asking God to allow us to have the patience and the endurance, the faith, the courage, and the boldness to wander through what could be a very long pathway shoulder to shoulder with a friend like that. So Jesus here is encountering Zacchaeus, and it's interesting in verse 2 because behold, there was this man named Zacchaeus. He was the chief among the publicans. So he was some type of, 
of ruler among the uh, the tax collectors or some manager or some boss among them. Verse number seven, when they saw it, they all murmured saying that this, that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. Now, it's interesting about this word murmured. It's a general disapproval of the crowd. And when you look at this word murmur in verse number seven, the same Greek word is only used one other time. Now, the word murmured in our English text is used a number of times throughout the New Testament Greek. But there is something different about the the magnitude of this murmur. Because this was not the Pharisees murmuring that Jesus was spending time with with, uh, some sinners This is a following. This is a crowd of people with strong disapproval. This is a murmur that refers to the mumbling that goes around the crowd and begins to come with such great, powerful complaint. It's that they grumbled and they condemned Zacchaeus. Now, this type of murmur is one that we would expect of the unsaved crowd who cannot see or understand the motives of a Jesus who cannot understand the heart and love of a man who's come to seek and to save that which was lost. But unfortunately, too many times, this word murmured can be defined by a local church or a body of believers or a Christian who finds within themselves such strong disapproval and passion that it begins to spread among a larger crowd. It's not that they have an individual issue that they want to work through or deal with or pray through, but this becomes something of great complaint. It becomes something with great trickle effect. It becomes one voice speaking that goes to, goes to five more, that goes to ten more, that then becomes a massive crowd who is criticizing Jesus for being the guest of such a man like Zacchaeus. So when this crowd of followers become so disgruntled, what they are doing is grumbling by the very act of love. They are grumbling and complaining. They are murmuring, not at what they're seeing outwardly, but it's the motivation by which Jesus is motivated by. It is what puts him into action every time. It is not the compassion that Jesus was moved by all the time. It's not the compassion that he taught his disciples to have. It's the totally opposite side of the spectrum that says there's reason to put up guardrails. There's a reason to build hedges. There's a reason to build the wall. There's reason to say no more of them. And that's where the followers had come to. And so the other time that this word was used is in Luke 15, verse 2. It says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans to Jesus. It was the tax collectors and sinners to hear him, just to hear his message. And the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders of Jesus' time, they murmured, not with one complaint, but a a, a trickle effect that went throughout the whole crowd. It was a stirring up of slander. It was a stirring up of gossip. It was a stirring up of, of complaint against the very act that Jesus would do with love. And they said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So to those who understand the purpose of Christ, well, they would rejoice in what is taking place. They rejoice in the fact that they're seeing Jesus, hearing Jesus, and being able to see the gospel lived out. God has always 
been the one who has sought out for sinners. In the Garden of Eden, it was Adam and Eve hiding from him, and he called out and said, where are you? On the road to Damascus, a man by the name of Saul was confronted by a light from from heaven. And later in that passage in Acts, the Lord said, he, Saul, is a chosen vessel unto me. And all throughout the history, God has continued to seek for the lost. The parables he gave in Luke 14, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. There, There would be no grace No hope, no assurance, no forgiveness, and no salvation if he did not seek for the sinner. And so I'm thankful that he he sought after me. I'm thankful he drew me to himself. I'm thankful he extended his grace to me. And I'm thankful that now, because of that act of love, I am one of his very own. And I'm thankful that he chose me. In verse number three through six, we also see that Jesus is a friend to the curious. Now, this is a place now where Zacchaeus, a little bit of a description is going to come about him. We know that he was rich. We know that he was a chief tax collector. We know that he was a sinner. That's in 2 and verse 7 as well. But in verse 3, he says he sought to see Jesus who he was. And it's interesting about this because this is a curiosity. It was an interest. It was, he was intrigued. He was a skeptic. And in verse 3, when it says to see Jesus who he was, it was to find out what sort of person he was. A lot of news had probably traveled fast and a lot of conversation had been had that this Jesus was coming. And Zacchaeus' motive was not to meet Jesus so that he could be changed. Zacchaeus was not the beggar on the side of the road calling out for Jesus to heal him. This was not the rich young ruler who had approached Jesus. This is not even Nicodemus who came under the shadows of night in order to knock on the door to have conversation with this great master teacher, Jesus. This is Zacchaeus who is just interested in in seeing who this man is. And so the curiosity of Zacchaeus is what led him to a place where Jesus would meet him and interact with him. Curiosity was his only motive. And so Christ, when he made his stop... He probably took Zacchaeus by surprise. He looked up at him, made eye contact. You know what that feeling is like when somebody abruptly makes eye contact with you. Maybe you're sitting at a restaurant eating your meal and you look up for a moment and look over and somebody's staring at you and you hey, it's good, good steak, yeah. And you're like, oh, what are they staring at me for? And they're just staring at you like, man, did I go to high school with them or where do I know them from? The girls and I ran into somebody at Publix last Sunday night after church and it was one of those things where I just don't know where I know everybody from. And so he was very friendly. And I saw his son. Hey, how are you? Oh, good. Just getting some stuff for lunch tomorrow for, for lunch boxes. Oh, yeah, we are too. Oh, good. I hope work's going well. Oh, yeah, work's going great. Good, good. Well, have a good week. And the girl said, Daddy, who was that? I said, I have no idea. And I said, uh, <laughs> I said uh, he's a friendly guy. I know I've seen him before. I said, I don't know where I've seen him. Then I got to thinking, and then that's when you get your phone out. And I was looking up, okay, was that, was that Mike Clanton from Center State Bank? And so I'm flipping through, and I said, Bailey, does that look like the same guy? She's like, no, that's not him. I'm like, oh, okay, that's no help. Okay, I'm not going to bring up the banking business. Okay, so then, of all things, we end up running into him at the line to cash out, and he's right behind us, and he wants to tell me about everything they did this weekend. And I was like, yeah, well, good, good. Well, I hope you have a good week. We'll see you next time. So you know what that awkward moment is where somebody is connecting with you and you have no idea what to say or how to connect with them? 
Now, if I see you in public, all right, and I say those kinds of things, just remind me of your name. That would be very helpful, all right? Hi, I'm Raymond Ash. I'm a church member at Parkway. Thank you, Brother Raymond. I appreciate that. Good to see you at Walmart, okay? But here, Jesus makes eye contact and calls him by his name. And so the most shocking element is that Jesus doesn't stare at him, call him by name, but invites himself over to his house. He did not say, I would like to come to your house. Would it be feasible for me to come to your house today? He says, I want to come to your place. He says, hurry, come down, make haste. And so Jesus saw his visit with Zacchaeus as part of his divine mission. And sometimes, remember, we talk about these God moments. Sometimes we overlook those God moments in our day. Sometimes we quickly bypass God moments in our week. And we forget that those are missions that God has sent us on with a greater purpose than just our moment of comfort and convenience. And so Jesus here has his divine mission in mind. And Zacchaeus responds in the text with with great eagerness and excitement, probably shock and despair, because again, he's thinking in his mind, does this man know anything about me? So he descended from the tree quickly and received Jesus, the text tells us, joyfully. He made haste in verse 6, came down and received him joyfully. You know, when God draws a sinner to himself, they can't help but come in a hurry. The truth is, as you remember, though, the delays in your life with your story and your testimony, but when the conviction came on your life, there was nothing standing in the way of you meeting Jesus. You wanted nothing more than to have his grace to save you. Zacchaeus hurried, came, they met, and then, of course, things changed so wonderfully from there. The curiosity, uh, or the curious, don't always receive Christ. Think about, again, uh, Luke 18 with the rich young ruler. Acts 26, chapter 25 and 26, Paul is speaking to King Agrippa gives his own story and testimony, shares the power of the gospel message. And in chapter 26, verse 28, King Agrippa says, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And so not always does the curious, do the curious, come to know Jesus and his grace. The Lord not only knows who he is, but he knows that he's going to save him when and where with Zacchaeus' life. So Zacchaeus responds with great joy. Jesus embraced this dirty, wretched sinner. And really, when we think of the application here for us, we would say the sacrifice of Christ on the cross was for the whole world. We grab a hold of that and we understand that. But we also know that from 1 John chapter 1 this morning, that there are several people that we're going to deal with who deny even the sinfulness of man, let alone denying the sinful uh, nature of man. So not only the act of sin, where people will blatantly say, no, I've never sinned, and that's hard for us to think that people are even out there that believe that because we're so readily and freely willing to admit that we're a sinner. But there are people out there that think they're moral and good on their own and they have no need. But Zacchaeus is as a place where he knows he has a need. There are many who need this message of love that we will interact with. And who is it that's on our prayer list? 
Who is it that we are seeking after very much so in our prayers? Who are we weeping over? Who are we bombarding the gates of heaven, begging God to draw them to himself? Who are we saying, God, they need your grace and salvation? Who is it? So often we become very comfortable in our bubble and in our spiritual world that we have all of our fulfillments in our partnerships with our church body and our coffee appointments and lunch appointments and our dinner arrangements are all partnering with somebody who has a personal relationship with Christ. And that's good because that's iron sharpening iron if it's intentional with that friendship that we have. But how many times would we evaluate in the month of January, did we interact with people who needed to experience the love of Jesus Christ? If we truly want to be a tool that God can use to break down barriers, build relationships, and plant gospel seeds, are we being intentional with making that happen? And we can't just sit back and say, oh, well, it's just going to happen. God will make it, make it come to place, and I'll fall into that, that, uh, that moment, and it'll just happen. God also wants to use us with our faithful prayers and our hard work and our boldness and our courage to say, God, give me those people to talk to. So there's plenty of those who are out there who are curious. Be a friend, not only to the sinner, but to the curious. And the last thought here is in verse 8 and 10, or 8 through 10, is Jesus is a friend to the transformed. The transformed would be those who are now followers in Jesus Christ, and probably, if not all of us, many of us in here, are part of that transformed group. And I'm thankful that Jesus continues to be my friend. I'm thankful for that friend that uh, sticks closer than a brother. I'm thankful for the sacrifice he paid on my part. I'm thankful for the intercession he does on a daily basis for me. I'm thankful for where he has placed me. I'm thankful for what I have in what I gain in that friendship. So here with Zacchaeus, Luke does not record the presentation of the gospel out of the mouth of Jesus, nor does he record any moment of salvation or transformation. But what Luke does record is clear pieces of evidence that something has happened to Zacchaeus. And the pieces of evidence that we see in verses 8 through 10 go much further than just head knowledge. It goes much further than just, oh, I've met Jesus before. Yeah, we had a great time. He was very kind. Uh, he was very relatable. And, um, and yeah, I really enjoyed my time with him. That's not the story of Zacchaeus. For the encounter that Zacchaeus had gives now evidence or proof of transformation. Look at verse number eight. Zacchaeus stood. Now, the timeline, we don't know. We're not sure how long Jesus stayed. We're not sure exactly what what the meal was or the moments that followed. If we read it in the text and see that there was this great crowd of followers murmuring, complaining, and saying, there he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner, and then Zacchaeus stood. Well, it's not that they heard them say, so Zacchaeus stood and was like, I just, I can't have this problem right now. Tax season is coming, and I don't know, I don't need this over my resume, or I don't need this to be identified with my business, and so Jesus, you're just going to have to scoot. No, this is not what took place. So there is some moment where the gospel has been given, where Zacchaeus realizes that Jesus is the way, and then this happens, and here's the proof. Zacchaeus stood he said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. 
And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Well, let's look at these two things for just a moment. You see, here in this moment, we would see that the evidence of transformation in verse number eight, he acknowledged Jesus as Lord. He says, behold, Lord. Now, this would be a word that explains that now I am your slave. Now you are my master. Now I follow you. It's the same as when Jesus would come to the disciples and Jesus would say, leave your nets and follow after me. Leave the fisherman business and I will lead you. If you follow me, I will teach you so that you can be fishers of men. So it is the same thing here that these men left everything behind that they knew with the fishing business or everything that they knew from their family business or everything they knew that they were doing, whether it was uh, Matthew as the tax collector or Luke as the physician, whatever it was, they were leaving those things behind and they were going to follow adamantly after Jesus because they had become his teacher, his, their master, their Lord. So for Zacchaeus now to say, behold, Lord, shows who he is following. It's a confession with his mouth. It's a belief in his heart, Romans chapter 10. He also expressed his self-denial. He says in verse number 8, half of my goods I give to the poor. In Luke 9, we're reminded when Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. And then he declares his intent to make restitution for the wrongs that he had done to others. Look at verse number eight. He says, I will restore them fourfold. So we would see this is genuineness of his salvation. It's seen in a complete transformation of his behavior, in his passions, in his goal, in what he is following. No longer is Zacchaeus following after the dollar bill or the, or the current coin. What he is doing is following after Jesus Christ. He is denying every part of him. He's making restitution. And this has now become a label of Zacchaeus. But here's what I love in verse number nine, is the words of Jesus confirm the salvation of Zacchaeus when he says, this day has salvation come to this house. Well, we would ask, was his salvation confirmed because he was giving to the poor? No. Was his salvation confirmed because he was restoring wrong and even doing it fourfold? No. What brought that confirmation was that Jesus said, salvation has come to this house. Grace had saved him and changed his whole attitude. Now, we understand it cannot be grace plus faith plus works or plus clean pasts or history. It can't be plus good morals, good attitude or, or promise. It's not of ourselves. It is what Jesus has done in his transformation. So the spiritual friendship. Jesus is a friend to sinners, he's a friend to the curious, he's a friend to the transformed. We must, we must ask ourselves: where do we align in looking like Jesus? Oh, we benefit greatly from him being our friend, but are we willing to be the kind of friend that Jesus is and that Jesus continues to be? And so as we set out to this week and we go into the hustle and bustle of our life, we can be thankful that Jesus is our friend and our rescuer. 
We're thankful that Jesus is not our accuser or our prosecutor or our judge. We can be thankful that he is our substitute and he is our intercessor. But I would ask all of us, are we willing to be that kind of friend to others? A friend to sinners, a friend to the curious, a friend to the transformed. Let's live like Jesus.